We haven't been given a voice or an opportunity. It was just pretty much, we're doing this and you either like it or not. We are the dissidents, we are the heretics, and we have to think like that. The government is on the skids and it's got no answers. Just rhetoric and jargon and cliches. As I keep saying, it's impossible to nominate any issue on which this government has improved the quality of life for Australians. Welcome to Parting Shots, the weekly news podcast from ADH. In a week when Margot Robbie got more accolades for playing a doll than Dan Andrews got for playing the role of a competent state premier. And when the Federal Indigenous Minister, Linda Burney, neglected to notice the irony of declining to debate her opposition counterpart over something called The Voice. It was also a week in which my co-host, Nick Cater, went to North Queensland to speak to Indigenous opponents to a wind farm in a rainforest, uh, grabs of which you heard a second ago and more of which are coming. And it was also a week in which Alan Jones made a brilliant and blustering return to the studio. But first, let me bring in my co-host, Nick Cater. Nick, how are you? Or more to the point, where are you? Oh, good day, Fred. I'm, in, I'm uh, near Mar- Maribra on, on, in the Atherton Tablelands, just inland. Probably about, oh, I'm guessing here, but about 80 kilometres inland from Cairns. It is a beautiful country. I'd never been up here before, and I, 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 I rue... The fact that for so many years of my life, I'm not going to say how many, I avoided coming here because it is just stunning country. Well, and under threat as well, which we will talk about in a minute. Uh, Nick, we have so much to get through in this podcast. Let's quickly get through our lessons of the week. What was your lesson of the week? You just run that on me, Fred. I, my lesson is never, never uh, trust a, a renewable energy company when it tells you how many homes it's going to be able to power with a wind farm or a a wind industrial estate, I should say, or a solar farm. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, There's there's a development in uh, Robin Island in northeast Tasmania, which we've we've heard of, of course, because surprisingly, a Green, in this case, Bob Brown, is opposing it. But they they, they said in in their brochure, which I looked at today, that they can power 500 thousand average Tasmanian homes with this one turbine development, which uh, it's a bit over the top because if you look in the last census data, there's actually only 229,000 private occupied dwellings in Tasmania. So it's going to provide apparently more than enough uh, power to provide uh, electricity to twice the Tasmanian population. Somehow I don't see it happening. That would make uh, that would make Tasmania visible from space so well lit that it would be visible from space. Well, my lesson of the week, I've got to say, Nick, it was a topic that was almost impossible to ignore, especially in the ADH office with our social media editor Tara Kennedy, who's a young woman who is uh, obsessed with the Barbie movie, and she actually filed uh, posted a cute little review about it on our social media platforms. What I learned, Nick, is that pop culture has completely left me behind. I just simply don't get it anymore. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's because I'm getting old or that pop culture is, is disappearing up up its own uh, uh, yeah. 
firmament. So, Interesting. yes, but uh, I mean, the, the, just very quickly, that what baffles me about it is that it's it's essentially a biblical story. I mean, Barbie lives in a perfect world, and she doesn't get exiled from the Garden of Eden, but she uh, she willfully uh, exiles herself. But she's not repenting for an original sin. She's looking for a cure for cellulite. Uh, make of that what you will. But, uh, you know, the reason, uh, you know, we have to think about these things for a reason because this is one of the most popular movies of, uh, of, of recent years. And um, That makes me feel very old, Fred. I, I remember <laughs> when, when my, my older sister got her first Barbie, I couldn't help thinking, hmm, yeah, that's a bit hot. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, well, no. so is Margot Robbie, and that's the other mysterious thing about it is that she's, you know, she's meant to be imperfect. It's one of Hollywood's, uh, sl- it's a very Hollywood sleight of hand. Oh, Margot Robbie's so imperfect. How that makes young women feel, I just don't know, and uh, I'm glad I'm not one, to be honest. Um, uh, for a start, I'd be forking out some of my hard-earned cash to go and see the stupid movie. So anyway, enough of Barbie. Let's get on to more serious things. Let's go to our, our first grab. And this is from your trip to uh, the Chalumban uh, Forest to meet an indigenous, uh, a, a, a descendant of the original inhabitants of that forest. Her name is Georgina. And uh, there's two aspects to this, Nick. The first aspect I want to look at is that is this uh, woman's traditional connection to the land. Now, people like you and I, I mean, I can't speak for you, but I I can speak quite uh, unreservedly for myself in that uh, I'm I'm often quite cynical about this so-called spiritual connection to the land. Um, with Indigenous people. I mean, when they closed down climbing of Uluru, I was furious because climbing Uluru is one of the most quintessential things you can do in this country. It's a, something I recommend everyone to do. It's almost a spiritual experience for me, um, but you're not allowed to do it anymore. And uh, so, you know, as a result, I'm a bit cynical about all these claims, but I was so thoroughly moved by this, Nick, and I'm dying to get your opinion. Your, I'm dying to hear your insights into how you got this interview and what it was like, but... Let's hear the grab. This is Georgina, a, a, a descendant of the original inhabitants of the Chalumban Forest that is now going to be chopped down to make way for a wind farm. Here it is. It's all pretty uh, significant. means a lot out there. It's not just trees and mountains and rivers. It all has significant meaning to us in the waterways. And that's where our water creation story begins, out there. Um, so have we? I think for me, mostly it's the <clears throat> it's the disrespect to our elders. You know, um, one of my grandmothers were born at the bottom of the gorge. You know, those waterways they were for <clears throat> initiation and birthing and. We don't come from Ravensow Town. We come from that rainforest. So that's life, you know. So we're disrespecting our elders and our ancestors and and life. That's where life comes from for us. Oh, Nick, it, it, that is... I highly recommend um, listeners go and watch that video on ADH.TV. Nick's show is Nick Cater's Battleground, which you can find on our website or app because the, 
to, to watch Georgina talking is just heartbreaking. Nick, what was it like? Yeah, look, I spoke to a number of uh, people from the the, the Durable tribe. They 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 are they, they are the rainforest people, and they are the traditional owners of of Chilumban Forest, which is where uh, a a huge wind farm or wind industrial estate. I keep using their language is is proposed. So uh, I'll talk more about this in a minute. But uh, you know, when you see this land, you're just astounded that anybody should think of doing anything with it it's just it's just native forest it's native um tropical wetland uh, wet deciduous forest which is a sort of buffer between there and the rainforest it's actually more delicate and more important than the rainforest uh, and 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 the uh, people like georgina and the durable people feel this tremendous connection with this land and i can understand why it was a big education for me fred because like you i'm i've been a little bit cynical about this you know people roll out this often for other causes and often people who just want to push one cause or another will you know push some indigenous person into the frame so that they can push that cause but look, i spoke to a number of people from the from the durable people and and we'll be playing that some of that more of that next thursday on battleground uh, and it was just heartbreaking to see that and i, I kind of understood it after i'd heard Georgina and Tommy and Trish and sat down and spoken to them. I kind of got it, you know, for the first time yeah. in a long time that, that this isn't bullshit. So can you elaborate course, on that connection they have with the land? Well, you know, they, they, they have the connection with their family, their elders. Uh, Trish, uh, who I spoke with, uh, you know, could remember her, her great-grandmother who was uh, involved in the last... Uh, great slaughter of Aborigines up there. It was a bit of a horrible thing that happened in that region um, some time ago, but it was the great-grandmother of Trish. So to her, it's real. It's part of her family story. But I also got, you know, you you know this, Fred. You've got a connection. You don't have a connection with any land whatsoever. You have a connection with the sea. But, yeah, I do. But That's you do. True. It does mean something. And, and when she explained to me the meaning of the waters coming down, and oh, look, it's, it's too complicated. You have to listen to the interview, but... I really, really, um, the, 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 undoubtedly the thing about Georgina and the others is, you know, they're not just, that you can see the, the emotion on their face, and Georgina was in, in tears a couple of times during that interview, that they really feel that what's happening up there is, is such an invasion, and when you see the land, it, it certainly is, uh, you know, just can't believe however, how, um, how anybody could even contemplate putting wind farms in that beautiful well, I've forest. I've got to say that, Nick, I, I, I felt it. You know, quite often when you hear Indigenous, you know, for the, the, the cynic, this is the cynical me talking again, when you hear these kind of professional Indigenous people talking about their, their connection to the land, I, I'm not entirely convinced. But with Georgina, it was, I, I felt it, I really did. And when you say, you know, like I have an affinity with the ocean, I do. And I, and I, I, I feel about the ocean the way she feels about that her, her land. I mean, the thing that, that really struck me was just how devoted she was to her own culture, her own family, her own traditions. This is, there's nothing wrong with that. That is part of what built our civilization. And, and if she feels it, then who are we to destroy that? It's, it's yeah. really powerful stuff. 
And I thought what was what was interesting with Georgina is I think what's really motivating her at the moment is the feeling that a lot of the younger people um, are not they don't have that connection with the land. You know, they don't go out and spend time on the land and and and, and going to all the places that mean a lot to them. They're spiritual places, and um, and and because of that, you know, she thinks they're going off the rails. And I kind of I get that entirely. I mean, because we see that. Ourselves, people, you know, young people that we know, or you know, young people in Western culture, they're not don't have any sort of connection to their the tradition, the Western canon, as we talk about it. Don't understand that, you know, don't know anything about the Bible or Christianity or all these things, which which our civilization is drawn from. So I I got that entirely. I really did. It was it was, and that was what was upsetting. That if if you if you ruin this land and, and this horrible development will do that i mean we're talking about more than a hundred kilometers of of roads going to be driven through this uh, virgin forest to, to put these blasted things up and um it will destroy it it will absolutely destroy their culture uh you know quite apart from the natural beauty the threat to wildlife the greater glider which is uh, you know is, is, a, is a rare species which occupies that territory in this day and age, it's just incomprehensible. And I should give you some of the history of it, but let's do that in a minute, because the history really uh, yeah. says how crazy it is. Well, let's go to the other because uh, the other aspect of this story is that Georgina and her, uh, the, her, the fellow descendants of the original inhabitants um, were for somehow just shut out of negotiations and plans uh, for this wind farm to get up. So uh, let's hear Georgina talking about the lack of consultation. We went to the public meeting and I just, I was angry and shocked because we didn't know. Nobody knew until this was a public meeting and it wasn't even to inform the Indigenous people. It was to inform the general com community about it, you know. Um, so they didn't, they didn't have the courtesy to call you in no the, the but i found out that country it was no oh they do but only certain people and it wasn't you know the elders weren't consulted the indigenous population in general wasn't consulted they weren't even informed um and then i found out a bit later on that they'd been having meetings um with the energy mob since may 2019 Nick, this is the left's hypocrisy writ large. It, it, it's, you know, they are coming in here to provide so-called clean energy and keep the greenies in the inner city happy. And uh, they are not listening to Georgina. You had a bit of, you actually, later in the interview, um, you mentioned the concept of the voice and she had some pretty condescending things to talk about that. What? How did you? What sort of sense did you get from her about being yeah. left out of this debate? Well, I I think it 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 highlighted for me that the the the, the problem with Aboriginal politics, uh, which is of course not at all democratic, right? There's no vote involved, but everything's run essentially through the land council. So, you know, when we when we uh, gave land back to Aboriginal people, we didn't actually give it back to the people at all. We gave it to these land councils, which uh, make all the decisions. And, and these land councils are entire, entirely unaccountable to 
local ind indigenous people. Uh, they're not voted in, they can't be voted out. They are just basically authoritarian bodies that have a vested interest in, you know, basically enriching themselves on whatever proposal comes along. So you want to build a miner, in this case, uh, you know, uh, turbine, wind turbines, you go to the local Aboriginal council, at land council, and then it's just simply a case of sort of negotiating a price. But, you know, this is why local people feel angry about this. And, and one thing that happened was when I visited uh, the Chilumbad site, uh, you know, I, I don't mind saying it, technically trespassing, because I wasn't, it's, you know, it's private property. Uh, and I went with an Indigenous lady called Trish, uh, one of the one of the gerable people, and uh, afterwards, she she was actually uh, uh, somebody must have seen us go in because she was approached by a security guard who said, "Look, you're, we're going to be prosecuted if you do that again." And she said, "What? You know, this is my country. I'm walking on my country. How can you do that?" Wow. And this happened all the way along. Um, uh, yeah, it is. It is. You, you get to see the problem with that. You know, the Aboriginal politics, basically, which is coming in the way of any kind of reasonable solution to anything. Oh, there is so much going on where, where you've been and, and uh, we, we feel pretty lucky at ADH that you're up there, um, you know, snooping around and, and getting uh, first-hand accounts of what's happening. I mean, the other thing that you found, we put this up on YouTube this afternoon and it absolutely took off. It's a little video of you finding what looks like a graveyard for the blades of old windmills. They, these are twenty. These are relatively little ones, twenty meters long. I mean, the current ones are the ones that are going to will be built if this thing goes ahead are eighty meters long, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. But Nick, you walking around that that stack of old mouldy blades that are just rusting away uh, is very compelling footage. Tell us about what it was like. Yeah, well, uh, um, my my good friend uh, uh, Steve Nowakowski, um, who's been you know terrific in guiding me through this. Uh, he, Steve Steve said, "Oh, look, there's some old turbine blades. Do you want to look at them?" And I said, "What?" You know, <laughs> and we walked through this dirt track and through some forest, and there they were in a quarry, just sitting there. Uh, you're right; they're small. They're rel well, they look big enough. They're twenty meters long. But compared to the 89 meter long blades that they're proposing to put into lumber, they are they are pretty tiny, and and they come from a, a wind farm called uh, uh, Windy Hill, uh, which is the first ever, and I think the second uh, turbine development in Queensland dates back to about 1999, I think, and it was in that era when they were really just testing it out. So it was only about 18 megawatts. It wasn't a, a big thing at all, but it's still going, and of course. You know, it was installed in 1999, and at some point, I'm not quite sure when, but probably at least 10 years ago, or, or, or these things had to be replaced. And, and there they are, the old blades just sitting there. They don't know what to do with them. They could bury them, but they thought they'd just put them in the quarry, and uh, you can you can go and, well, if you're willing to sort of go onto private property, you can go and look at them and touch them and feel them and just see what a con this is. Because at the end of the day, what the renewable industry is not renewable there's nothing renewable about these Indeed. blades they can't be That's recycled right. it's impossible yeah. to recycle and they sit there sort of leaching all sorts of chemicals into the soil you know yes. and, and 
nobody knows what to do with the bloody thing. So if you imagine that 20 meter long blades from a wind farm that's put in in 1999, then you'd think that, you know, if Chilumban goes ahead, which, which I really, really hope we can stop it. But if it goes ahead, then in 15, 20 years time, there'll be 89 long meter blades that won't have anything to do with sitting in that quarry. It, yeah. It's disgraceful, Fred. Well, but, I've got to say, so, uh, yeah, go on. Hmm. Just yeah. so, everything's so absurd about this. You, know, you yeah. look at this. And you, I, I just kept bursting into sort of, sort of guilty laughter. I was thinking, well, this is just so ridiculous. Um, well, there is uh, another part of your on your show when you, uh, you you had an Aboriginal guide with you and, and was showing you where these windmills are going to go, and you and you just turned around to him and said, "Tell me, this is some sort of joke." I've got to say, Nick, it's it's really com your show on Thursday night is really compelling and original and uh, alarming. Uh, at one stage, I couldn't tell whether you were emulating Harrison Ford or David Attenborough, the way, you, <laughs> the way you're trudging through the bush looking for, uh, you know, Raiders of the Lost um, turbine blades. But, um, uh, but great stuff, Nick. Congratulations. Uh, Thanks, really good stuff. And you're going yeah, to yeah. follow it up uh, next Thursday with even more. So, Oh, uh, there's a lot more to that. come, Fred. And I tell yeah. you, people will be shocked when they see the footage of the area that they're contemplating turning into a, a turbine industrial development. Uh, this, and I should just put, put the historical context because this is fascinating. Ravenshoe is the highest town in Queensland. It's about 800 metres above sea level. And until the mid-1980s, it was a big logging town. You know, they'd be going out logging these native forests. And uh, uh, Graham Richardson, bless him, who was then the Environment Minister in the Holt, Holt government, bravely came up to Ravenshoe in 1987 just to let the locals know that they were going to they're proposing to shut down the logging industry and turn it into you know a world heritage uh, preservation order they were going to approach the UN and get it made world heritage territory and it, and it was a um, at the time it was a, a, a real shock that Graham Richardson was hustled and jostled and prunched he had a really awkward time but it is exactly this area that the Hawke government decided could not be logged, that they're now giving up to wind farms, to wind turbine developments, which, which involve the, 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 the chopping down of so many hectares of original trees to get the, mainly to get the access roads. Because you've got to have big, wide, it's not tiny tracks, right? You can imagine yeah. you've got to get an 86, 89 metre long turbine blade up there they've got to be pretty wide tracks and uh that's what they'll be i i just can't believe it you know that the, the hawke labor government preserved this area yelke peterson was very much against it bob catter the local mp was very much against it but 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 now i think we all accept that what the hawke government did there was right we couldn't go on locking these places but now 37 years later another labor government is on the verge of giving the green light to turn this into an industrial state. It is yeah, in the in the pursuit baffling. of saving the planet, as Georgina says, you were chopping down trees to put up concrete and steel. Anyway, yeah. well, I, I urge urge listeners to go and watch Nick's show, Nick Cater's Battleground, on our website or on our app from last Thursday, and stay tuned for Nick Cater's Battleground next Thursday for uh, even more insight from what's happening up at uh, the Chilumban Forest. Now, let's go to what, Nick, let's go to the biggest story of the week. This is 
uh, particularly controversial. That's the cancellation of the Commonwealth Games by Victorian Premier Dan Andrews. And no one explained it better than our colleague, Alan Jones. Here he is telling it like it is. Last year, Victoria was awarded hosting rights for the 2026 Commonwealth Games, as you know. Andrews said it would be, quote, a games like no other. 15 months ago, he said, prior to the election, quote, exactly what we promised, unquote. Well, he's right on one count. It is a games like no other. There will be no games. This imposter said last year, quote, we're very, very confident that this will deliver jobs. He claimed the two, uh, 2026 Games would, quote, deliver better facilities, better housing, and it'll be a showcase to the world. He's now cancelled the lot. How will this bloke be remembered? Well, how are imposters remembered? They're despised. This cancelling of the Games is a straightforward announcement of financial incompetence. The Premier admitting the 2.6 billion has suddenly gone to 7 billion under Chairman Dan. Dan, which is an outright lie. But he still has hundreds of billions of dollars to convert Victoria to renewable energy. Another hoax. Few people today, though, are surprised. Victorians who elected him must now face up to the fact that the debt he will leave will be for others to deal with. Andrews will take his superannuation and ride off into the world of oblivion. Well, Nick, what do you think? And no one says it better than Alan Jones, do they? I mean, no. speaks, speaks of, gives a voice to the voiceless. It's what everyone is thinking these days about Dan Andrews. But uh, I think he's finally on the nose for everyone. Yeah, he is. You, you, you never die wondering what Alan really thinks about things, do you? <laughs> but I, I think he, he, he nailed it. I know, and it, it, it's absolutely right. I mean, it is, it is absolutely unconscionable what he's done, particularly knowing that the Commonwealth Games, it's a very important institution in my view. It, it's a it's great. I mean, we love it because we win a, a load of medals, but yeah. it's very Well, I think it has more other... integrity than the Olympics. The Olympics has just become a, a sort of, uh, it, it's a bit of a grifter's paradise, really, because what they do at the Olympics is that they, they get new sports to come and, you know, um, uh, suggest inclusion and they, you know, milk it for all it's worth. And the Olympics has just become this this revolving door of, of new sports, um, all for the benefit of the people on the on the uh, Olympic Committee. But the, the Commonwealth Games has retained its charm and its traditions. I mean, it's dominated by the same countries, of course. New Zealand, yeah, but it's, yeah, it Canada is, Fred, but, but it, what, what it has, it's less commercially driven. And exactly, yeah. Do you, do you know those odd occasions, and I can't actually sum it up, one, because I'm not a great uh, collector of sports uh, details, but, you know, every now and then, you know, like Tonga will take out a medal. And, and they're not... Yeah. And, and, and if, if, if Tonga or, or the Cocos Islands or all these wonderful yeah. places take a medal, it is fantastic for those countries. And if they were to beat an Australian, you know, to a, a, a spot on the podium, we'd say, good on you. And and yeah. that's it's it's true true sport. It's and and that's why it's a fragile institution in this enormously sort of commercial world we're in. Yeah. And it needs to survive, and it's up to us, uh, you know, the, the the larger countries in the Commonwealth, to to support it and keep it going. And and Daniel Andrews, of course, gets none of that. He doesn't understand any of that. You know, it's nothing to do with with power politics. It's to do with a sort of sensitivity 
to the human condition and and Indeed. what it must be like that's, to be that's one of those so sections. true yeah mm. the, what it must be like to you know aspire to some sort of uh, uh, you know ideal or or success in in a competitive endeavor rather than you know um, backstabbing your way to the top to of the labor party yeah i mean, I mean always, it's, I, it's clear I, now that that he's he, he used the commonwealth games to secure the regional votes uh, in last year's election. Yeah, I mean, there's a cynical political angle to it, and and there's there's that going on. But look, I, I mean, it's like um, you know, I'm as a as a New South Welshman, and I I call myself that, having lived here for longer than I've lived in any other one place in my life, even though I was born in England, and 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 COVID nineteen made me feel very much a a New South Welshman's and not just an Australian. You know, we, we let's face it, we're very happy to see Queensland win this state of origin because winning matters a lot more to them than, than losing bothers us. Yeah. Uh, but that, that's the sort of approach we bring to the Commonwealth Games, isn't it? You know, I mean, yeah. it's it's all about just being you know, decent, oh, it's considerate human being. It's the competition. You know, it's, 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 you know, winning well or, or losing with, with dignity, it's uh, you know the, the Commonwealth is a great institution, and uh, and to, as far as Dan Andrews is concerned, it's just something that he can use as a springboard to win another election. Horrible, Did... horrible, cynical uh, politics. I mean, I, I noticed on on uh, social media a couple of days ago, it, people who were criticising it, left wing commentators were saying, "Oh, conservatives." just want Dan Andrews to waste $7 billion or spend $7 billion on the Commonwealth Games. In fact, it's, it's prudent for him not to put it on. I mean, that's just, that's just pure, well, pathetic, partisan politics, isn't it? Well, it's tragic to say that, that $7 billion is chump change, right? Yeah. He's, he's, he promised us that the, the Westgate Tunnel would cost less than $10 billion. It's now going to cost more than $100 billion. You know, the suburban rail loop, you know, goodness knows yeah. why anybody want to build, you know, a rail a rail loop through the outer suburbs, but that's two hundred billion. But you know, I mean, I wonder, Fred, do you think if if China was part of the Commonwealth, he would have taken a different view to this? <laughs> they they wouldn't have tolerated. Good question. Good question. But there's been some late breaking news related to this this afternoon. I just read a few minutes ago in the Herald Sun that um, that the public service union has managed to block the Dan Andrews government from sacking 4,000 public servants, Nick. I mean, oh. he's, he is really desperate to save money. That It's clearly the state is on the verge of going broke. Um, but he's even, he's even uh, resorting or trying to resort to sacking some of his beloved and bloated public service anyway those four thousand jobs for what it's worth have been saved by the PSU. Yeah, good on um, him and, and I, but I, I i you know i think it, maybe he's thinking maybe I, why do i need to have a commonwealth games you know why do why do we need to have australian setting records in sport when i've set plenty of records you know, <laughs> I, 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 I we have we have the gold medal for lockdowns we have the world gold medal like we have we have more lockdowns than anybody else in the world and uh, in Australia, we have the world record for the amount of debt and deficit we've built up as a result of COVID. Plus, and this is tragic, the world record for deaths per million of COVID. So oh. the Australian, sorry, I should say the Australian record. 
Gold, we- gold, gold to Australia. Gold, gold, <laughs> as, gold to Victoria. As Norman, yeah. uh, uh, as, um, what was it, Norman, the ABC uh, sports broadcaster, I think his name. Norman Gunston? Oh. Uh, Norman May. No, no, Norman Gunston. Norman May famously said, gold, gold, gold to Australia. Gold, gold, gold to Victoria, I should say. So, um, yeah, congratulations, Dan. You've really, uh, you, you've really uh, surpassed yourself there, mate. Um, now let's uh, move, let's talk about something a little bit more cheery. Uh, this is a, a really um, interesting little grab from our colleague Lyle Shelton. Now he reported from a uh, "Leave the Kids Alone" protest at Hyde Park uh, in Sydney during the week. Um, it's got a very strong multicultural feel to it. Um, let's have a listen to what he said uh, from Hyde Park. This is our colleague Lyle Shelton. Well, good day. I'm down here at Hyde Park where there's a Leave the Kids Alone rally going on right behind me. And I have to say at the outset, uh, I agree with the general concern that's being expressed here. There is a sexualisation of children that's going on in our society. It's accelerated since the same-sex marriage plebiscite was passed in 2017. And we're seeing LGBTIQA+, sexualised, gender-fluid material through our schools, through our social media. And now our governments have passed laws which uh, make it impossible for people to speak out against the gender fluid ideology that's being imposed on children, which is leading to this epidemic of children turning up at our child gender clinics doing so much harm to so many young people. The concern I have with the the rally behind me is that some of the language and some of the rhetoric has been a bit extreme. It's been disrespectful of the LGBTI QA plus community. I never want to disrespect people, but I think we need to be able to debate ideas. There's so much to unpack from that, Nick, but the the first thing I want to look at uh, is that um, Lyle, in his typically uh, Christian uh, graciousness, is is referring to the LGBTIQA plus whatever it is community uh, and um, sort of admonishing the pe- some of the people who were at that protest for the language they were using in disparaging those people. He said, we shouldn't attack people, we should simply debate ideas. Now, I, I actually appeared on Lyle's show during the week on a, discussing The Voice, and I made a similar, unaware that he was making this point from Hyde Park, I said, he asked me, you know, what, wh- where, will, where will all this go regarding The Voice? And I said, well, look, you know, it looks pretty certain that the voice is not going to get up at the referendum. So it's up to conservatives now to reach out and make sure not not engage in any schadenfreude uh, and begin the healing process now because the voice has been incredibly divisive to Australian society. And uh, it, it, it's not conservative or Christian style to rejoice in victory. It's to be gracious in victory. And that's exactly what... What Lyle was saying in that in that uh, in that piece from Hyde Park, look, you know, the LGBTIQ crowd might be the ones who are behind this sexualization of childhood, and uh, which leads, in some cases, to uh, you know gender surgery, God forbid. But you know, Lyle is still saying, uh, uh, you know, disgusted and 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 appalled though he is by all this, he's still saying. Let's just remain respectful. It's a pretty good message, isn't it? Yeah, and I think, well, thanks, Lyle, for, for reminding us of that because we all kind of get into this mode sometimes when we attack 
or we, we seemingly showing a lack of sympathy for for individuals who you know decide to go into this gender transition process uh, rather than attacking as we should the ideology I mean there's always been a place um, in Australian society or well, certainly as far back as I think we can measure for people who don't fit we don't feel they fit into one gender or the other. It's just that previously, until the last ten years ago, we we found you know there was a separate category for them. We didn't insist that because you you know you dressed in a skirt, you were actually a real woman, or you know vice versa for women who identify as men. It was just there was another category. So I, I absolutely thank uh, Lyle for drawing to our attention that we should be demonising the idea the ideology and perhaps the, the activists who try to exploit this rather than you know, the individuals involved, and particularly as we're talking about in most cases, you know, uh, teenage kids who really, you know, don't really have much experience of the world and they're just being very badly served by adults more well, than people who claim to be adults. Yeah, there's another analogy there to the voice, in fact, because, you know, the voice has become this abstract debate about you know a panel and a constitution and you know all that sort of stuff but really the issue is the kids and the women in aboriginal communities who are living through all sorts of horrifying daily lives and same with these kids you know who who are confused about their gender you know they're the ones who we should be worried about this is what these debates should be about and they they wind up getting caught up in acrimony between adults who just wind up being um you know on different camps but the, the charming thing about it nick is uh in the video is that you know it's lyle uh one of australia's best known christians you know shoulder to shoulder with uh, some of our brothers from the um from the muslim church and uh they've found common ground and they're, they're very passionate about it and that's you know uh, you know a I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of multiculturalism, to be honest. But uh, there's multiculturalism working uh, as, um, in uh, in wonderful ways. I think. Yeah. Well, I think um, we're getting distracted by the word multicultural. I mean, what I I just see it as essentially colour blindness. I mean, we, mm, yeah, you, know, you and I were brought up in an era when we were taught to be colour blind, and you know, people's colour of a person's skin or where they come from is probably the the least important thing about them it's their character that's more important because that's been uh, turned around and twisted and thrown on its head by the the woke uh, you know identity politics narrative but you know i think the similarity with the the, the the between the two is that you have this this real political campaign to you know try and make a, a, an oppressed group out of this combination of people lgbtiq whatever you know, as if transgender people had anything in common with, you know, gays or lesbians or anybody. You know, exactly. they're separate groups in any way. They're not groups. They're individuals who just should be treated as individuals. It's always the way. This is exactly the same with Indigenous people. Indigenous people do not speak with one voice, as I discovered this week. And, and you know, they're individuals. And, and the attempt to force them into some class of person who needs a sort of extra political support is... It's something you know the left have been doing since you know Karl Marx is a boy, so <laughs> it's never ended well. It's never ended yes, well. It hasn't. No. Okay. Well, let's go to a sample from the week in sixty minutes, which is a part of Spectator Spectator TV on ADH TV. Now, Nick, your wife Rebecca Weiser hosted the show this Wednesday, 
and had the, the great John Roscombe on for a chat. For people who aren't familiar with John, he is the former Executive Director of the Institute of Public Affairs, now a senior fellow, and he's one of Australia's most passionate advocates for free speech. He recently lost the Liberal Party's pre-selection for Warren Diet, uh, which is up for by, which is going to be uh, a subject of a by-election soon. That's a state Victorian um, uh, electorate. Um, but uh, so John is now, you know, back uh, back out taking swings at um, at all who he sees are the enemies of free speech and. Uh, Sad to say, uh, the Liberal Party doesn't escape his view. Let's hear from John Roscombe. I think there's a few things that have happened. I think we've taken our freedoms for granted for too long. I think we have lost our freedoms very quickly in the space of the last few years and we haven't had time to respond to the massive changes that are challenging us. I think we saw under COVID um, that Australians are an obedient people and I think that we have to come to a few conclusions about freedom in Australia. I've often talked about the fact that uh, notwithstanding that I'm a Liberal Party member, the path to freedom is not through the Liberal Party. The Liberal Party uh, is no stronger a defender of freedoms than is the Labor Party. And finally, we have to understand that those committed to freedom, to freedom of speech, freedom of opinion, to what we've taken to be basic human liberties, um, are now a minority in the Australian community. We are the dissidents, we are the heretics, and we have to think like that. So I'm optimistic for the long term, but in the short term, I think we have to understand that we've been losing we have to know why we've lost and we have to regroup and rebuild um, because all the direction uh, at the minute is the wrong way. So, Nick, they are fighting words from John Roscombe and uh, I've got to say I loved every word of them. Um, he's not, uh, he doesn't spare the Liberal Party. What do you think, Nick? Is, uh, is, has the Liberal Party been an adequate defender of free speech lately and uh, will it be in the future? Uh, I might take that question second, but I think John's dead right. We are we are the heretics now and, and the left, you know, the left are the conservatives because they want to conserve the, the woke status quo and we're the ones sort of, you know, rattling at the gates of the Palace of Versailles, you know. So there is that reversal of roles and, and in a sense the... the, the, the centre-right have always been like that. I mean, that's what Menzies was fighting the the consensus in the 1940s when he talked about the forgotten people because the consensus was all about the welfare state and the government doing everything for you. So we are in that position. As for the Libs, well, uh, you know, I'm not going to... Uh, you know, I was executive director of the Menzies Research Centre. You know, I'm still senior fellow there. And, and in that role, you know, they're, they're, they're part of the Liberal Party. So, you know... I always felt a a, 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 a need to sort of, if you like, you know, not directly criticise the party. But I'm very happy to say, I mean, I don't think there's any problem with saying that the party is, is, is suffering because it doesn't have enough people of conviction, particularly at state level. And it needs to have conviction. It needs to have people who actually believe for something, believe in something other than getting power. You know, they need to know what, 
what they will do when they get power and, and, and what principles underline that. And I'm disappointed in saying that there's far too few of those people. John Roskam, of course, would have been a great addition to the state Liberal Party party room in Victoria, uh, a potential leader, a probable leader in my my view, but people have, you know, the... the, the the, the select, pre-selection process, as we know, was was against him. Uh, he, unfortunately, he wasn't a woman, and that's a big, yeah. big, big yeah. problem. Um, I don't think he was prepared to become a woman just to get pre-selected. So, you know, <laughs> he could have given that, it a crack. It's not hard in Victoria. He could have, you know. I mean, it's, it's not, anyway. He wasn't, you know, what, for whatever dogmatic conservative reason, he wasn't going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're so boring, aren't we? Aren't we? Um, you know, James Allen was a guest on uh, on Alan Jones's show during the weekend. Uh, made the pertinent point in this instance um, that uh, there is a causal correlation between uh, Republicans' success at uh, the state level in the United States and uh, adherence to principles. So all the all the state governors who are doing well in the United States now are the ones who stuck by good conservative principles. It's not that hard for the Liberal Party to get their head around that. But the problem is that it is, uh, it, it's sort of dominated these days by people who, who don't really share those principles anyway. That's, I think that's the biggest problem. But, I mean, I'm reminded of what um, John Lydon, who, uh, who used to be known as Johnny Rotten back in the late 70s, the lead singer of the Sex Pistols, he said recently that, uh, I'm paraphrasing from memory, but... Um, he said, back in the 70s when I was a punk, um, the last thing I would have expected would be, would, would be that uh, one day the left would become the establishment and conservative monarchists would be the rebels. And, of course, Johnny Lydon is now a conservative monarchist. And um, I, I feel the same. I'm sure you do too, Nick. I, you know, I'm, I'm sort of Gen X myself and uh, I've always felt more comfortable going against the grain. And uh, I... Uh, I, it, you always feel like you're doing it for the right reasons, and I absolutely feel I'm doing it for the right reasons now. I mean, being a conservative is is pretty thrilling these days because uh, you're always there's always a fight to be fought somewhere, and um, you always feel like you've got truth and uh, and and compassion and uh, intelligence and culture and civility and civilization on your side, and they're they're pretty good weapons in a fight. You've got to say. I think that's right. I think that's right, and you know, it's it's not as exciting, is it, as being a a, a socialist in that you can come out and say we're going to have a revolution, we're going to throw. Well, oh, they have blue hair though, Nick. They've got that. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. But, yeah, no, I think you're dead right in that, Fred. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's go on to one last grab. Uh, sorry, we've got two more grabs. Um, this this one is uh, Bettina Arndt, who came on my show during the week. Now, um, as you know, Nick, um, banks are getting involved in the culture wars these days. Nigel Farage has caused a huge stink in the in Britain after being cancelled by uh, Coots Bank, which is a subsidiary of uh, NatWest. And uh, the the uh, controversy about his cancellation has gone, went all the way to as far as the Prime Minister had to, you know, have his two bobs worth. Um, and it was revealed during the week that uh, Farage's account was cancelled because the someone in the bank objected to his conservative politics. Now, Bettina Arndt, who is a great defender of men's rights in Australia, 
has found that the Australian Banking Association has decided that uh, women who accuse their husbands of not being financially supportive enough can complain to them. You can't won't believe this, Nick. They can complain to the bank and the bank will go, oh, yeah, all right, and they cancel his account. Let's hear from Bettina. The penalties include closing your account and, and freezing you from access to your money. Now, so let's go to what constitutes a, a financial abuser. How do they define it? Oh, well, it's about, um, there's, a, there's a whole list of questions that could come in here. Um, but of course, the point is, it's just someone needs to accuse their partner of being a financial abuser, meaning that they're not providing for them in the way they could, they're not delivering, giving them access to their all their accounts. You know, if you've got a wife who's very fond of shopping and you don't allow her access to all your bank accounts, I mean, that could be a financial abuse. Uh, and they're saying very specifically... It sounds like a traditional marriage, is, but go on. The Australian Banking Association says they don't need any proof of this. Uh, no evidence is required. That is frightening. It's a subjective uh, measure or it's a test for whether or not you're a financial abuser and the bank the bank Australian Bankers Association has decided well if if your uh, ex is uh, you know disgruntled enough to complain then sorry bucko but you have just lost your bank account what do you reckon Nick this is frightening yeah yeah what what allows this to happen are these kind of uh, vague kind of weasel expressions like abuser, right? And, and you know, th th that can then be taken up and used in, in all sorts of contexts by, you know, a class of people who really get a thrill out of bossing everybody around, you know, the sort of would-be dictator class, which is probably only about 20% of the population. But you know, some people really want to tell other people what to do. And, and that's what's happening, I think. They're just, they're just using this to weaponise it against. I mean, I, I guess we should... All start going back to the cash economy, don't you? I mean, what's, yeah, it's yeah. not as if the banks give you much, right? You know, no, you, they don't. Yes. You stick, you stick the stick your money faithfully in your bank account, and you you end up with about half a percent in interest over a full year if you're lucky. You know, so. Well, as someone pointed out, I, I, someone mentioned this on uh, social media the other day. I, I hadn't thought about this before, but one of the reasons the banks, you know, are, are so quick to close up their uh, their branches and discourage the use of cash is that if you spend $50 down at the shop and then the shopkeeper takes that $50 and buys something else and then that $50 note goes somewhere else and it keeps getting circulated around, every transaction, the bank doesn't get a piece of it. But every time you use your credit card or your phone or whatever you, at, at, a, uh, at an FPOS machine, the bank takes a tiny cut and uh, they are... They are getting bigger and greedier and more malicious. And now they are coming after blokes. So look out. Uh, if you want to hear more about that, just check out my show from last Monday night. Now, Nick, we've only got a few minutes left. So I just wanted to end on, on uh, Alan because he's come back to the studio after a few weeks away. It's so great to have him back in the office because, it, you know, he's... He brings a, a sort of energy into the into the room that people less than half his age, half his age can struggle to master, 
and uh, and then when you know you turn the camera on and the studio lights go on, and he is just such a force of nature and such a great spokesperson for ordinary Australians. I just you know I don't know. I'd like to get your opinion on this, but I just loved the way he said this. Let's hear Alan on the Albanese government. The Prime Minister's personal standing has declined steeply by nine points since March. Understandably, he's never here. 36 of respondents to the poll showed the government was doing very poorly in providing cost of living relief. Another 30% said the government was doing somewhat poorly on the same issue. And that equated to a net negative rating of minus 50. No one is saying the government was managing the cost of living very well. I'll look at the performance of Chalmers shortly. But on the question of managing the economy, there was a net approval rating of minus 24. All up, the negative responses to the government's manage of most is- management of most issues was replicated across Australia, according to the research. Well, the simple truth is this. The government is on the skids and it's got no answers. Just rhetoric and jargon and cliches. As I keep saying, it's impossible to nominate any issue on which this government has improved the quality of life for Australians. Nobody says it better, do they, Nick? He does. He does. Every time I hear Alan, I sort of kick myself for pulling my own punches. But uh, yeah, he's passionate. And I think, you know, I don't always agree with Alan, I have to say, uh, but I probably agree with uh, him many more times than I don't. Uh, But the thing about Alan, I think, uh, that, that uh, people miss, his critics miss, is that he is really motivated by the little people, the ordinary people. And he is, Alan never gets more passionate or angry than when he sees people without a voice, without power, just, just being given a, a terrible deal by bureaucracy or corporations or governments. That That's what motivates him. And I say that after following over many years and and uh, being involved in a lengthy court case with him as a co-defendant. You know, I mean, the, the guy is a terrific uh, asset to... Uh, and the other thing about him is he... I mean, you find this, Fred. He, he, he's, he's of that school, the old school, that, that doesn't want to... never wants to talk about their own problems or own worries. You know, he, he, and he's been through some health challenges, as we know, you know, quite serious mm-hmm. health challenges. Over over recent years, but you never hear him complain about it. Never, he just soldiers no, on. No, and I, I can say I, I can say that when he does come into the office on some occasions, you can see it in his face. I mean, he he comes in. He doesn't have to work, but he comes in here and does his thing on behalf of of the voiceless, as he calls them. And you can see he's he's enduring some pain. Uh, but yeah, like I, say, I, I never talks about it. Yeah, I mean, recently, as you you might remember, I I went trampolining rather foolishly with my grandson, and I fell rather awkwardly and badly bruised a rib, and I was in quite well for me it was quite some pain. But I don't you know, I, I was in the office complaining about it. Yeah. Alan just cracked up with laughter. He said, <laughs> "I'm going to dine out on that story, Kater. You're injured, injured on a trampoline." <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, no. It's important that he's. It's great to have him back. It's great it? to have him back. Yeah, and it'll be asset. great to have like you back asset. in the office next week, Nick. Uh, enjoy the rest of your trip in uh, tropical North Queensland. And, Thanks, Fred. Uh, 
We look forward to um, some more of your reports from up there. You're doing a fantastic job. But uh, next week, listeners, Nick and I will be in the same studio. Um, so thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week with Parting Shots next Friday. Thanks, Nick. We'll see you when you get back. Good. Okay, thanks, Fred. Good night. How was that, Martina? <laughs>